0: Chapters thirteen and fourteen of William Tell Told Again. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. William Tell Told Again by P. G. Wodehouse. Chapter thirteen. Intense excitement instantly reigned. Their suspense over, the crowd cheered again and again. "'shook hands with one another, and flung their caps into the air. "'Every one was delighted, for every one was fond of Tell and Walter. "'It also pleased them to see the governor disappointed. "'He had had things his own way for so long that it was a pleasant change "'to see him baffled in this manner. "'Not since Switzerland became a nation had the meadow outside the city gates "'been the scene of such rejoicings.' Walter had picked up the apple with the arrow piercing it, and was showing it proudly to all his friends. "'I told you so,' he kept saying. "'I knew Father wouldn't hurt me. Father's the best shot in all Switzerland.' "'That was indeed a shot,' exclaimed Ulrich the smith. "'It will ring through the ages. While the mountains stand will the tale of tell de bowman be told.' Rudolph de Harris took the apple from Walter and showed it to Gessler, who had been sitting transfixed on his horse. "'See,' he said, "'the arrow has passed through the very centre. It was a master shot.' "'It was very nearly a master Walter shot,' said Russelman, the priest, severely, fixing the governor with a stern eye. Gessler made no answer. He sat looking moodily at Tell who had dropped his crossbow and was standing motionless still gazing in the direction in which the arrow had sped nobody liked to be the first to speak to him well said rudolph to harris breaking an awkward silence i suppose it's all over now may as well be moving eh he bit a large piece out of the apple which he still held walter uttered a piercing scream as he saw the mouthful disappear up till now he had shown no signs of dismay, in spite of the peril which he had had to face, but when he watched Rudolf eating the apple, which he naturally looked upon as his own property, he could not keep quiet any longer. Rudolf handed him the apple with an apology, and he began to munch it contentedly. "'Come with me to your mother, my boy,' said Russellman. Walter took no notice, but went on eating the apple." Tell came to himself with a start, looked round for Walter, and began to lead him away in the direction of his home, deaf to all the cheering that was going on around him. Gessler leaned forward in his saddle. "'Tell,' he said, a word with you. Tell came back. "'Your Excellency?' "'Before you go, I wish you to explain one thing.' "'A thousand, Your Excellency.' "'No, only one. When you were getting ready to shoot at the apple, you placed an arrow in the string, and a second arrow in your belt.' "'A second arrow?' Tell pretended to be very much astonished, but the pretense did not deceive the governor. "'Yes, a second arrow. Why was that? What did you intend to do with that arrow, Tell?' Tell looked down uneasily, and twisted his bow about in his hands. My lord, he said at last, it is a bowman's custom. All archers place a second arrow in their belt. No, Tell, said Gessler. I cannot take that answer as the truth. I know there was some other meaning in what you did. Tell me the reason, without concealment. Why was it? "'Your life is safe, whatever it was, so speak out. "'Why did you take out that second arrow?' "'Tells stopped fidgeting with his bow, "'and met the governor's eye with a steady gaze. "'Since you promised me my life, Your Excellency,' "'he replied, drawing himself up, "'I will tell you.' "'He drew the arrow from his belt and held it up. "'The crowd pressed forward, hanging on his words.' Had my first arrow, said Tell slowly, pierced my child and not the apple, this would have pierced you, my lord. Had I missed with my first shot, be sure, my lord, that my second would have found its mark. A murmur of approval broke from the crowd as Tell thrust the arrow back into the quiver and faced the governor with folded arms and burning eyes. Gessler turned white with fury. Seize that man he shouted. My lord bethink you whispered Rudolf Der Harris, you promised him his life. Tell fly he cried. Tell did not move. Seize that man and bind him, roared Gessler once more. If he resists, cut him down. I shall not resist, said Tell scornfully. I should have known the folly of trusting to a tyrant to keep his word. My death will at least show my countrymen the worth of their governor's promises. "'Not so,' replied Gessler. "'No man shall say I ever broke my knightly word. I promised you your life, and I will give you your life. But you are a dangerous man, Tell, and against such must I guard myself. You have told me your murderous purpose.' I must look to it that that purpose is not fulfilled. Life I promised you, and life I will give you. But of freedom I said nothing. In my castle at Kussnacht there are dungeons where no ray of sun or moon ever falls. Chained hand and foot in one of these, you will hardly aim your arrows at me. It is rash, Tell, to threaten those who have power over you. "'Soldiers, bind him and lead him to my ship. "'I will follow, and will myself conduct him to Kursnacht.' "'The soldier's tide tells hands. "'He offered no resistance, and amidst the groans of the people "'he was led away to the shore of the lake where Gessler's ship lay at anchor. "'So our last chance is gone,' said the people to one another. Where shall we look now for a leader? Chapter 14 The castle of Kusnacht lay on the opposite side of the lake, a mighty mass of stone reared on a mightier crag, rising sheer out of the waves, which boiled and foamed about its foot. Steep rocks of fantastic shape hemmed it in, and many were the vessels that perished on these— driven thither by the frequent storms that swept over the lake. Gessler and his men, Tell in their midst, bound and unarmed, embarked early in the afternoon at Fleulen, which was the name of the harbour where the governor's ship had been moored. Fleulen was about two miles from Kustnacht. When they had arrived at the vessel they went on board, and Tell was placed at the bottom of the hold. It was pitch dark." and rats scampered over his body as he lay. The ropes were cast off, the sails filled, and the ship made her way across the lake, aided by a favouring breeze. A large number of the Swiss people had followed Tell and his captors to the harbour, and stood gazing sorrowfully after the ship as it diminished in the distance. There had been whispers of an attempted rescue, but nobody had dared to begin it, and the whispers had led to nothing. Few of the people carried weapons, and the soldiers were clad in armour, and each bore a long pipe or a sharp sword. As Arnold of Siwa would have said, if he had been present, what the people wanted was prudence. It was useless to attack men so thoroughly able to defend themselves. Therefore the people looked on and groaned, but did nothing for some time the ship sped easily on her way and through a calm sea. Tell lay below, listening to the trampling of the sailors overhead, as they ran about the deck, and gave up all hope of ever seeing his home and his friends again. But soon he began to notice that the ship was rolling and pitching more than it had been doing at first, and it was not long before he realized that a very violent storm had begun— Storms sprung up very suddenly on the lake, and made it unsafe for boats that attempted to cross it. Often the sea was quite unruffled at the beginning of the crossing, and was rough enough at the end to wreck the largest ship. Tell welcomed the storm. He had no wish to live if life meant years of imprisonment in a dark dungeon of Castle Kuschnacht. Drowning would be a pleasant fate compared with that." He lay at the bottom of the ship, hoping that the next wave would dash them on to a rock and send them to the bottom of the lake. The tossing became worse and worse. Upon the deck, Gessler was standing beside the helmsman, and gazing anxiously across the waters at the rocks that fringed the narrow entrance to the bay a few hundred yards to the east of Castle Kusnacht. This bay was the only spot for miles along the shore, at which it was possible to land safely. For miles on either side this coast was studded with great rocks, which would have dashed a ship to pieces in a moment. It was to this bay that Gessler wished to direct the ship. But the helmsman told him that he could not make sure of finding the entrance, so great was the cloud of spray which covered it. A mistake would mean shipwreck." "'My lord,' said the helmsman, "'I have neither strength nor skill to guide the helm. "'I do not know which way to turn.' "'What are we to do?' asked Rudolf der Harris, who was standing near. The helmsman hesitated. Then he spoke, eyeing the governor uneasily. "Tell could steer us through,' he said. "'If your lordship would but give him the helm.' Gessler started. "'Tell!' he muttered. "'Tell!' The ship drew nearer to the rocks. "'Bring him here!' said Gessler. Two soldiers went down to the hold and released Tell. They bade him get up and come with them. Tell followed them on deck and stood before the governor. "'Tell!' said Gessler. Tell looked at him without speaking." Take the helm, Tell, said Gessler, and steer the ship through those rocks into the bay beyond, or instant death shall be your lot. Without a word, Tell took the helmsman's place, peering keenly into the cloud of foam before him. To right and to left he turned the vessel's head, and to right again, into the very heart of the spray. They were right among the rocks now, but the ship did not strike on them." Quivering and pitching, she was hurried along, until of a sudden the spray-cloud was behind her, and in front the calm waters of the bay. Gessler beckoned to the helmsman. "'Take the helm again,' he said. He pointed to Tell. "'Bind him,' he said to the soldiers. The soldiers advanced slowly, for they were loath to bind the man who had just saved them from destruction.' But the governor's orders must be obeyed, so they came towards tell, carrying ropes with which to bind him. Tell moved a step back. The ship was gliding past a lofty rock. It was such a rock as tell had often climbed when hunting the chamois. He acted with the quickness of the hunter. Snatching up the bow and quiver which lay on the deck, he sprang on to the bulwark of the vessel and, with a mighty leap, gained the rock. Another instant, and he was out of reach. Gessler roared to his bowmen. Shoot! Shoot! he cried. The bowmen hastily fitted arrow to string. They were too late. Tell was ready before them. There was a hiss as the shaft rushed through the air, and the next moment Gessler, the governor, fell dead on the deck, pierced through the heart. Tell's second arrow had found its mark as his first had done. End of chapter 14